morning, the text that we will be going through today is Luke chapter 5, verses 17 through 26. This is the story of Jesus healing the paralyzed man. And in this healing that we are talking about today, it's not just a physical healing, but it's also a physical and a spiritual healing. The story that we're going through today is found in Mark's gospel, and it's also found in Matthew's gospel account as well. And for those who want the summary up front, right here, this passage shows Jesus' compassion and Jesus' authority. Jesus has the power to heal us physically, and he has the power to forgive our sins, completely transform our lives and restore the brokenness. Jesus is over all things and has dominion over all things. Right there, the sermon's over. You can all go home right now. <laughs> Just kidding. You're stuck with me for a few more minutes. But context-wise, this story takes place in the town of Capernaum. And we see this earlier in chapter 4. Jesus' popularity throughout the region is big. So Jesus has reached this A-list celebrity status. He'd be probably a major influencer on social media. Wherever Jesus goes, there is a massive crowd that surrounds him. And you can see this in verse 19 because they couldn't get into the house because of the crowd. Jesus was also drawing the attention of the religious leaders. And they are coming from all over the region. We see that some people came from Jerusalem, in which Jerusalem to Capernaum is about a 34-hour walk, about a three-hour journey, according to Google Maps. And those who are curious, modern-day transportation, that'd be about a two-hour car ride. So now you don't have to Google that. But there were people from all over the place to see Jesus in person. Because news of Jesus was getting out fast in the work that he was doing, healing people and the wonderful teaching that he had, and then also who he was. Who is this person named Jesus? So that sets up our story that we are jumping in today. So this moment, I'd like to invite everyone to bow their heads in a word of prayer before we read the scripture. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the gift of your word that was revealed to us through the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to our hearts and that you would speak to our minds today and reveal to our hearts and minds what needs to change within us. Be with us as we learn the text. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to invite everyone to open their Bibles to Luke chapter 5. Verses 17 through 26, and the text will be on the screen as well. So starting at verse 17. One day, Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. 
some men carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up to the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately, he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. So when you're reading these stories, it's just good to, it's a good practice to just try to imagine yourself in this scene, in this story. So just right now, just imagine yourself in this crowd. You're standing there in this crowd and you're listening to this person named Jesus' teaching. He's a phenomenal speaker and probably one of the best speakers that you have ever heard. And everything he is saying is resonating with you. You are captivated on every word that he is saying. And this house that you're in is packed tight shoulder to shoulder with people. So when I hear that, packed tight shoulder to shoulder with people... When I, I recall when I was living in Chicago, my wife and I went to the Magnificent Mile Lights Festival downtown with a few friends. So if you don't know, this, this is like a big event in downtown Chicago. The streets were so packed for this light parade that was happening. And I remember being in the middle of this crowd, and I couldn't move anywhere. It was so tightly packed in that I was stuck in the middle of this massive crowd. I'm not sure if you've been in one of these scenarios, but we were so tightly packed in. Once the fireworks started, the entire crowd moved forward. I literally could have lifted my feet off the ground and I would have kept moving forward with the crowd moving forward. It was that packed. And this was an introvert's nightmare, <laughs> which I'm an introvert. So I'm glad I can process this event with you all. But going back to the story, this house is that packed. It's shoulder to shoulder with people packed inside and then packed outside as well. Wanting to hear every single word that Jesus is saying. Waiting to see what Jesus will do next. So while Jesus is in the middle of talking... 
you start to hear noises on the roof. While these noises are happening, you're looking at Jesus, you're looking at the roof, you're looking at Jesus, looking at the roof, just hearing these noises on the roof. It's distracting everyone inside the house. And then a hole starts to appear in the ceiling of the house, in the mud and straw ceiling. And then through that hole descends someone lying on a mat, being descended by a rope or whatever system they used. And then this man gets descended right in front of Jesus. He's sitting, laying down right in front of Jesus. And after this happens, the room is silent. Jesus looks at the paralyzed man and says, Friend, your sins are forgiven. Silence follows. Muttering in the back starts up amongst the religious leaders. You overhear what they're saying in this silent room. Who is this fellow that speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus says to the crowd, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Jesus looks at the paralyzed man and tells him, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. The man who has not used his legs for a long time gets up. Audible gasps are heard from the crowd are heard. Tears start streaming down the once paralyzed man's face. And while the tears are streaming down his face, he started saying, praise God, praise God. He started to make his way to the door and the packed room that was full of cheers and applause somehow made room for the once paralyzed man who is now fully healed and forgiven. Such a powerful story. But one point I want to highlight, and that's kind of more of a minor point in the story, but it is a very important point. It is near the beginning of the story, and that is the faith-filled friends that the paralyzed man had. The paralyzed man had the help of his friends to bring him in front of Jesus. His friends did all within their power to help bring him to Jesus. They brought him on top of the roof, and they dug a hole in the ceiling, and they brought him down before Jesus with a rope or some kind of a device of some kind. The story doesn't even mention how far his friends brought him, like where this paralyzed man came from. This just goes to show the lengths the paralyzed man's friends went to bring him to Jesus. And 
The instant application point for this is that we need to have these same faith-filled friends within our lives. And some of you might be wondering, what does a faith-filled friend look like? A faith-filled friend, at its most basic root, is someone who points you to Jesus. Someone who brings you to Jesus. And practically what that looks like is someone who always points you back to the Bible. Someone who constantly points you back to the scriptures. Because that is how we learn who Jesus is. We learn who Jesus is by reading our Bibles. When we read our Bible, that shapes the way that we view the world And that shapes the way that we view God. That shapes our theology, our understanding of who God is. And our understanding of who God is is very important because how we view God, who he is, how he acts, what he does, that influences the way that we behave and the way that we act. Because If I believe that God is a far-off, distant God who doesn't really care about me, or this God doesn't really care about other people, then why do my actions matter? If God just created the world, kind of like setting up a clock, wound it, and then just kind of let it go, and stays off far and distant from us, why do my actions matter? I could just do what I want. And that's kind of modern-day hedonism. Just do whatever makes me feel good. And that's really the chief aim of life. But this isn't a biblical worldview, and this is not what the Bible teaches. And from a societal perspective, a lot of people in our country have this similar view, where the chief aim of life is pleasure, instant gratification, And research from Pew Research Center confirms this, that those in the United States who said that they self-identify as Christian in 2007 were 78%. It's 2007. And then in 2021, that number decreased to 63%. So 78% to 63%. Those that don't want to do the math, that over 14 years... That is a 15% decrease of those who identify as Christian. And in 2007, 16% of people identified as no religion, not affiliated with anything, agnostic, atheist, spiritual, but nothing really specific. So they're categorized in the religious nuns category. So in 2007, 16% of people identified as religious nuns. And then in 2021, that number increased to 29%. So there was a 13% increase in the religious nuns category over the past 14 years. So a 15% decrease of those who self-identify as Christian, and then a 13% increase of those who identify as a religious nun. And I can say that I've had friends who fit into this category. And some of you might have friends within this category as well. 
friends of mine who went up growing to church. They're plugged into youth group growing up, accepted Christ growing up, on fire for the Lord, going to youth group. And then once they graduated high school, the best way I can describe it is that there was this slow fade away from the faith. Conversations with my friends started to turn from edifying conversations of how scriptures, how the scriptures were changing their lives, that there was life transformation, them wanting to see family members come to know Jesus. And it slowly faded into questioning the validity of the Bible and saying that it's a nice historical document and has some good moral values found in it. And aligning more with spiritual, but not Christian. So this issue is close to my heart. And over the past however many years, I've been thinking and praying about it and just reflecting on it over the years. And each person has a different story. Each story, each person and story has its own nuances to it. But I noticed one consistent pattern amongst my friends that moved away from the Christian faith. And I noticed that it wasn't something that just young adults experience, but it can expand to every generation, whether you're five years old or whether you're 95 years old. What my friends did was they surrounded themselves with people that told them things that they wanted to hear. I want to say that again. They surrounded themselves with people that told them things that they wanted to hear. And my friends started to exclude people within their lives that spoke grace-filled, loving biblical truths into their lives. And this is so easy for us to do. And we need to be like the paralyzed man in this story and surround ourselves with friends and believers that will always point us back to Jesus and point us back to the scriptures. And there's always the importance of you being that faith-filled friend towards others. And the importance of being that friend that brings them to Jesus and pointing people back to the scripture. Sometimes it can be uncomfortable, but it is our role as believers in Jesus to do that. And it is really the loving thing to do. And the concluding thought for this point, just a summary, is to surround yourself with people that will point you to Jesus and speak biblical truth into your life, which can be painful sometimes. And surround yourself with friends where you can speak biblical truths into their lives. The scripture should always be our foundation for our Christian identity as believers in Jesus. And the scripture should always be our foundation as a church and our main source of guidance as a church community. Amen? So these men... Put the paralyzed man in front of Jesus, and they are hoping that Jesus would heal them so he can walk. Jesus doesn't heal the man yet, but when the paralyzed man is placed in front of Jesus, 
Jesus saw their faith. And Jesus tells the man, friend, your sins are forgiven. Probably not the response that the paralyzed man was looking for. And maybe a little confused, but the text doesn't share what the immediate reaction of the paralyzed man was. But it does share the response of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Their response is, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? The religious leaders are aware of the implications of Jesus' statements. And that's why they are accusing him of blasphemy. Jesus isn't saying to the man, God forgives you. He is saying to the man, I, myself, Jesus, am forgiving your sins. And the teachers of the law and the Pharisees understand that it is only God who can forgive sins. So, essentially, Jesus is equating himself to God. He is saying that he is God, which he furthers his statement going forward. In the text, he says that Jesus knew what they were thinking. And I think that this can be interpreted potentially that he was reading their minds, or it could be he overheard what they were saying. The word here that is used in Greek is dialogue ismos. I'm terrible at pronouncing Greek. <laughs> Which means thought, reasoning, or opinion. So whether or not it was a supernatural occurrence happening in which Jesus had the ability to, to do, or whether it was Jesus knowing what the reasoning was or their thoughts were, he heard their mumblings in the back, none of the writers of any of the accounts really draw attention to it, which probably means that Jesus was responding to mumblings in the back. But Jesus' response is more of the main point of this section right here. This is Jesus' response. Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up and walk? Meaning, if Jesus has the power to heal this man, then Jesus has the power to forgive sins. Jesus continues, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. So when you see Son of Man, that it is a title from the Old Testament. The readers in the audience would have been familiar with this context. And that is from Daniel chapter 7, which describes Daniel's vision. And this is his vision from Daniel in the Old Testament. There before me was one like a Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, sovereign power. All the nations and peoples of every language worshiped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Jesus is responding to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, 
And actually, Jesus, a little side note, Jesus actually uh, refers to himself by the Son of Man title 69 times, just in case those who like little facts. But this is his response to the Pharisees. This passage is what he is referring to. It equates Jesus with God and shares of his dominion, his sovereign power, and everlasting authority. And one who has the power to forgive sins. And with his statement of, which is easier to say that your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up and walk. Jesus then shows everyone. He tells the paralyzed man to get up. He tells the paralyzed man to take his mat and go home. And the paralyzed man immediately stood up in front of everyone and grabbed his mat and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God and they were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. The man was healed and was able to walk. Notice the immediate response of the paralyzed man and also the crowd that was there. They gave praise to God. Whenever miracles happen, that is the purpose of them, is to point back to God and point back to the greatness of our God. And miracles within our lives are great witnesses to God because they ultimately point back to Jesus. That was the response of the healed man and the crowd. That should be our response within our lives too to the miracles that God does within our lives or to the good works that God does within our lives. Whether that be a divine supernatural work that God does within our life or whether that be a smaller thing that God does within our life, our response to these works that God does within our lives should be of one of praise, pointing our worship and adoration toward God and helping point others being witnesses to others of the work that God does for us and in us. So as a church, earlier this year, we went through a sermon series on our mission, vision, and values as a church. And if you're not here uh, throughout that series, I'd encourage you to check it out online on our podcast that we have also on our YouTube channel as well. But for our vision as a church, it is being a place to connect. And then our mission is to be a place to connect with God, connect with others, and connect others with God. Nice work. You guys remember. And one of our goals for this year as a congregation in helping to connect others with God is to share the gospel message with 200 people to reach 200. And you'll see it on a slide on the screens in the sanctuary before and after the service and also the TV in the lobby of where we are as a church of helping to reach 200 people, of sharing the gospel message with 200 people. We want 200 people to hear the good news of Jesus and that we are tracking this for the purpose of encouragement and also to focus on our priority, to see 
people come into a restored relationship with God. We share the good news of Jesus and let the Holy Spirit speak to the hearts and minds of people and pray for them to come to know Jesus and become a follower of Jesus. And some of you have sent in your stories and how you've been sharing Jesus with your friends, family members, coworkers, patients at your workplaces. And really, it's been really encouraging to hear your stories of you being witnesses within your own communities, with your workplaces and family members. And within the next couple months, we're going to have people share their experiences of their various testimonies, their various ways that they shared their gospel messages with people. And I just want to encourage you to keep sharing the good news of Jesus with those who are around you. And when you do it, please share it with us. Just let, let one of our st- uh, staff members know, let one of the elders know. Let, uh, we also have a form online where you could fill it out right on our homepage of the website that says Reach 200. I just want you to encourage, uh, encourage you to do that. And I know that we're talking about goals and numbers and rallying behind those goals, which are important things. But I'm reminded of what Jesus said. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? If he finds it, Truly, I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. We all were wandering sheep at one point. We all were lost in our sin at some point. Some of us came to Jesus at a younger age, and some of us came to Jesus at an older age. There was someone who came and shared the good news of Jesus with us. Whether that be invited us to a youth event, a kids event, or an adult event at the church. Whether that was a parent, a Sunday school teacher, a friend, a co-worker who shared the message of the gospel with us. There are so many different ways that each one of us has our own unique story and our unique testimony. But we were all wandering sheep. And we know wandering sheep within our lives. It could be so easy to be a wandering sheep today, totally lost in the hollow philosophies that I shared earlier. It's all about personal self-fulfillment, self-pleasure, self-gratification, People putting their worth in their careers, finding their worth in their houses, finding their worth in their assets, finding their worth in their accomplishments, finding their worth in their kids' accomplishments. And those are not bad things. They could be good things, but they can become idols within people's lives, and they can be idols within all the people's lives around us. It's when we take those things and we lay them at Jesus' feet, and we surrender them to Jesus, and we find our worth, and we find that our value comes from Jesus' work that he did for us on the cross 
And through his resurrection, all these things in the world without Jesus is just a chasing after the wind, constantly striving, constantly grasping at something, but it never fills and it never satisfies. And God has uniquely placed us where we are within our family, within our friends, within our workplace, within our kids' sports teams, to share this good news to the wandering sheep that we know within our lives. To give them new life right now and to give them eternal life in Jesus. We know who has the power to forgive sins. It is the Son of Man, It is Jesus, the one who is sovereign, the one whose kingdom will never pass away, the one who has the power to physically heal broken, to heal relationships, to restore broken families, to restore friendships, and ultimately, it's to restore a relationship with God through the work of Jesus on the cross, through his resurrection, for those who place their faith in him, declare him as Lord and become a follower of Jesus. Join me as we close in prayer this morning. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We praise you for the work that you have done in our lives and that you continually do within our lives. Help us to be people that surround ourselves with people that seek your word first and point us to you in grace and truth. We thank you that you have chose us to be ambassadors for your name and people to help share your good news with those who are around us. Wandering sheep that need to know you and the salvation that is found in your name. We love you, and we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.